Right, if you would now turn with me to Romans chapter 9. Romans, the ninth chapter. You may want to mark this. We'll refer back to it at least once in the message. Romans chapter 9. Verse 1. I say the truth in Christ. I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises. Whose are the fathers? And of whom, as concerning the flesh, Christ came, who is over all God, blessed forever, Amen. Not as though the word of God hath taken none effect. For they are not all Israel, which are of Israel. Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children. But in Isaac shall thy seed be called. That is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God. But the children of the promise are counted for the seed. For this is the word of promise. At this time will I come, and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one, even by our father Isaac. For the children, being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. It was said unto her, The elder shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, Even for this same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Therefore hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will he hardeneth. We'll end our reading there. Let's bow in prayer together. Our great God, our holy, sovereign, and merciful Heavenly Father, how thankful we are that You've enabled us to gather together tonight here in the middle of the week, to gather together from a a dark and dry and difficult world and to sing your praises, songs of praise, to open your word and to read it, to come before you in prayer. And Father, we pray that we would be enabled to worship together as we open your word, read and study the things that are prepared for us. Father, enable us to see the Lord Jesus Christ. Enable us to see He fits our every need. How desperately we need Him. How dependent we are upon Thee. Father, I pray that You teach each one of us that. If You teach us how dependent we are upon Thee, surely we'll look to You. We'll cry out to You for mercy. We'll believe You and trust You and rest in You and come to You. Father, bless your word tonight, I pray, for your glory, 
Father, show us your glory through the preaching of your word this evening. Enable your people, Father, to see your glory and have their hearts comforted and fed and and leave here confident in Christ our Savior. And Father, what we pray for ourselves, we pray for all your people, wherever they may be meeting together tonight. Bless your word and bless your people, we pray. Father, we continue to pray for those that you brought into the time of trouble and trial. There are many right now from our congregation and other places, those we know of and those we do not. We're thankful you know. And Father, we pray that you would meet their need, that you'd heal, that you'd deliver. Until you are pleased to deliver, Father, that you'd comfort their hearts with your presence. All these things we ask, and we give thanks to that name which is above every name. The name of Christ our Savior. Amen. All right, and like I said, you may want to mark your place there in, in Romans 9. And turn back to Genesis chapter 25. Genesis chapter 25. We looked at uh, some of these verses a week or two ago, but I wanted to come back and, and look at them in, uh, in another light, uh, from another angle, I guess, if you will. Beginning in verse 21, Genesis chapter 25. And Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord was entreated of him, and Rebekah his wife conceived. And the children struggled together within her. And she said, If it be so, why am I thus? And she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels. And the one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. Now, I've titled the message this evening, Election Must Be Preached. On more than one occasion, I have been accused of preaching too much election. And I take that accusation very seriously because I want to, to preach the truth. I want to preach the word. I want to deal honestly w- with the word of God. And I examined my preaching at those times when I was accused of that. I examined my preaching. I did because I want to be sure that this wasn't true. Now I will grant you that it is possible to distort the truth of election. If you preach election at the expense of the other doctrines of grace, if you preach election at the expense of other truths that are are revealed in Scripture, and the example that I thought of is hard-shell Baptists. They preach that election is salvation. They say that that's salvation. They say if the Father elected you unto salvation, then you will be saved, whether or not you ever hear the gospel and believe it. You may go through this life having never known the gospel, having never known Christ, having never believed him, having never loved him, having never trusted him, and just wake up in glory to your shock simply because the Father elected you unto salvation. Now, that's not so. That's not so. I used to know a man who I worked with him. He was a hard-shell Baptist, and he was, we were talking about this one day. And he told me once, he said, he said, my preacher, he preaches for two hours. Two hours solid, at least, every Sunday. He told me that. And I asked him, if election is salvation, Father elected a people, 
They're going to be saved whether they hear the gospel or not. Why have these services? Why bother preaching so long? People are going to, because people are going to be saved anyway. He didn't really have an answer to that, but I thought that was a fair question, you know. But what they believe is not so. My friend, if you would be saved, you must hear the gospel. And you must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. So you see what these hard shells are saying. That distorts the truth of election, doesn't it? Now, if the Father elected you, you will be saved. If the Father elected you, He sent His Son to die for your sin. And He put your sin away with, with His blood. And the Spirit will come to you in the preaching of the gospel. God's going to cross your path with, with some somebody preaching the gospel. And you're going to hear it and believe because the Spirit's going to give you life and give you faith to believe it. But you must hear. You must believe. Election is not salvation. It's unto salvation. And I'll tell you this about election. This is a, this is a doctrine, a truth that we hold very, very, very dear because it tells us who God is. And I'll get to that in just a minute. But now you don't have to believe in election in order to be saved. I was talking to a man, man last night at Danville and, uh, he said, he went and talked to, to a preacher friend of ours. He told him, now I need to get right with God. And man told me, you can't do it. You can't do it. Well, then he got kind of offended like the man was telling him, you're, you're right, you're not right with God. He said, wait a minute, I believe in election. He said, I didn't know that wasn't the gospel. There's more to it. I, I believe in election. He said, I didn't know my problem was I need to believe on Christ. That's what I'm saying. You don't have to believe in election in order to be saved. In order to be saved, all there is to it is this. Believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe Him. Come to Him. Trust Him. You must trust Christ alone to be saved. Nothing else. Nothing else. But if the Lord saved you, He's given you faith in Christ, the very first time you hear the truth of election, you're going to say, that's right. <laughs> That's right. You're going to, you're saying, I see that. that. That's the only way I can be saved. That's the way God saved me. So you don't have to believe in an election order to be saved. But if God saved you, you'll believe it. You'll believe it. So truth be told, it is an impossibility to preach the gospel without preaching election. It cannot be done. You cannot preach the gospel without preaching God's electing love. Because all of the gospel declares how God saves sinners. And all of that is founded upon God's election of a people. The salvation of a dead sinner, if he's a dead sinner now, it has to begin with God choosing him, doesn't it? Has to. The salvation of God's people is all built upon the cornerstone, the foundation where it all began, God's election of a people. God's electing love. So if a man denies the truth of election... He cannot be preaching the gospel. He cannot. His doctrine is all wrong from the get-go. He's wrong at the start, and he's just going to stay in error from there on out. Now, the main teaching of our text this evening here in Genesis 25, the main teaching of it is this. The absolute necessity of God's electing love. That is the purpose of this story in the Old Testament. And if you'll turn back over to Romans chapter 9, I'll show you that. 
Romans chapter 9. Verse 9. For this is the word of promise. At this time will I come and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one, even by our father Isaac. For the children, being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand. Not of works, but of him that calleth, it was said unto her, the elder shall serve the younger. As it's written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Now why, did, why, why does Paul tell us we have this story of the, the conception and the birth of, of Isaac or of uh, Jacob and Esau, that the purpose of God according to election might stand. This is given to us as a picture of God's electing love. The story of Jacob and Esau illustrates the necessity, if we would be saved, of God's electing love. Now the only way God Almighty could love Jacob is if God chose to love him. Isn't that right? You know the story of Jacob's life. He never did one thing. I mean, he never did one thing right that would ever earn God's favor. If God would, would love Jacob, if God would determine to redeem and save Jacob, God had to choose him first. Not of works, not of any works that, that, that Jacob did, but because simply because God would choose him. Simply because God would be merciful to him. And it wasn't wrong for God to pass Esau by, was it? Wasn't wrong at all. Esau wanted to be left alone. God left him alone. And he got exactly what he earned. So now remember, my title is Election Must Be Preached. And from the, from the understanding of that story, let me give you three points to show this is true. Election must be preached. Number one, election must be preached because election is taught all throughout the Word of God. It's everywhere in the Word of God. Now, if election is taught all throughout God's Word, we have to preach election. Because if you're going to preach the Gospel, you have to be consistent with God's Word, don't you? See, this is God's Gospel. This is God's message to, to people. The Apostle Paul told Timothy, preach the Word. At all times, in every season, in every situation, Paul said, Timothy, you preach the word. Well, if you're going to preach the word, you're going to tell the truth about what God's word says, you're going to preach God's electing love. And I spend a little bit of time studying this now, based on what I see in the Bible. God's election of a people is true. This is true. And if you're going to preach the gospel, you've got to tell the truth. You gotta say what God's word says, and you got to tell the truth. Well, here's the truth. God chose to be merciful to Jacob, and he chose to leave Esau alone. That's election. That's what it is. That's as simple as can be. And all of the scriptures teach this truth. I'm gonna show you some examples. In John chapter 15, our Lord gathered his disciples around him. In verse 16, you know what he told them? You have not chosen me, but I've chosen you. That's election. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 7. Deuteronomy chapter 7. 
Verse 6. For thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself, above all people that are upon the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love upon you, nor choose you, because you are more in number than any people, for you are the fewest of all people. But because the Lord loved you, and because he would keep the oath which he had sworn unto your fathers, hath the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand, and redeemed you out of the house of the bondman from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy, his promised covenant mercies with them that love him, and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. Now of all the nations on earth at that time, the Lord chose this little nation, Israel, to be his people. He chose them, Israel, to be a picture of spiritual Israel, to be a picture of God's elect. And God didn't choose them for, for their works, did he? You, you know their history. That can't be so. God didn't choose them because they were so great they could do something for God. Because they couldn't. They were the fewest of all. I mean, they started out with Abraham. They started out with one old man who's married to a woman. Both of them too old to have a child. That's how the whole nation started out. Fewest of all people. But the Lord chose Israel to be his people. He passed by the Philistines. He passed by the Amalekites. He passed by all the other ites that, that lived around them. And he chose Israel. God gave his word to Israel. He gave the prophets to Israel. He gave his law and the ceremonies to Israel. He gave the priesthood and the sacrifices to Israel and no other nation. Not one other nation on earth had them. That's election. That's election. God made a difference. Now look at John chapter 17. John chapter 17. God has an elect people. And the Lord Jesus Christ came to save God's elect. He came to die for God's elect and only God's elect. John 17 verse 6. He says, I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. Now who did the Lord Jesus come to save? He told us here. He said, I came to save those, Father, which you gave me. That's the elect. The Father chose them and gave them to Christ. And at, when he was here on earth, just like he's doing now through the preaching of the gospel, who does the Lord reveal himself to? He said, I revealed myself to the people you gave me. I gave them the words that you gave me. I gave them faith. Who did he reveal the Father to? Those 12, didn't he? Those 11. I mean, he told the 12, but he gave it to those 11 there. Who was it that had a saving knowledge of God? Who did the Lord give that to? Those whom thou hast given me, the elect. And who did the Lord pray for? He knows he's going to suffer and he's going to die. 
He's dying for somebody specifically. And he prayed for them. Who did he pray for? Not the whole wide world. The elect. Those that thou hast given me. I'm telling you, it can't get any clearer than that. It simply can't. Let me show you another example. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 3. I know, you know, the flesh gets awful angry about this, uh, this thing of election, but look how Paul talks about it here. Ephesians 1 verse 3. He talks about it as a happy thing, doesn't he? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings and heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Now, when did the Father elect the people? Paul tells us before the foundation of the world, when only God existed. Well, who did God choose? He didn't choose good people, did he? No, he chose sinners. God didn't choose the people because they did something good so that they deserved to be chosen. No, they hadn't done anything yet. They hadn't done anything yet. The world hadn't been created. Just like Jacob and Esau, they hadn't done any good or, or, or evil yet because this thing's not of works. It's of him that calleth. It's of God's mercy, of God's grace. God chose to save a sinful people, a people who couldn't do anything good, that he would make them that they should be holy and without blame before him in love. Not that they were that way their own selves. That's what God had to make them. That's why Christ came to die for them, to make them holy and without blame before him in love. And God chose a sinful people. He chose to make them holy so that God would get all the glory for doing it. Pretty clear, isn't it? All right, one more scripture. Second Thessalonians chapter 2. I told you this, this, this truth of election is taught all through the Bible, and I could be like my friend's pastor and preach for two hours on it, but these scriptures will be enough to, uh, for you to see. This is what's taught all throughout Scripture. God's electing love. Second Thessalonians 2, verse 13. But we're bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth, weren't he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now Paul is writing to save people here, and he tells them, I know your election. Now how does Paul know that? When he was when he caught up in the third heaven, did he get a, a glimpse at the Lamb's book of life? Is that No, that's not how he knew. He says, I know God chose you. I know it. How does he know that? Because God sent the gospel to them. And they heard it and believed it. You see, the Holy Spirit only gives faith to God's elect. He gives faith in Christ to those that the Father gave to Christ to suffer and die for His elect. So the only evidence you and I can ever have that we're one of God's elect is faith in Christ. Please don't waste your time trying to figure out if you're one of the elect. Because you'll never figure it out. We don't need to know for one of the elect. We need to know Christ. We need to know Christ and believe Him and trust Him. 
The only evidence you'll ever have on this earth that you're one of God's elect is faith in Christ. Because God gives it. God gives it to his elect. And if you're here tonight, you believe on Christ. I mean, you trust your all of your eternal soul to him. And brother, you're one of the elect of God. You sure are. That's what's taught all throughout the scriptures. Do you know the most common name to describe believers in the New Testament? Is elect. Believers are called believers just two times in the New Testament. Believers are called Christians three times in the New Testament. They're called the elect 14 times. Let me read you a couple of them. Our Lord talking about the end of the, of the, the world when he returns. And he says he shall send his angels with the great sound of a trumpet. And they shall gather together his elect. The people who are saved, the people that, that God has redeemed are going to bring to glory, he describes them as his elect. That's who's going to be gathered together. 2 Timothy 2, verse 10. Paul told Timothy, I endure all things for the elect's sake. I get on these ships and get shipwrecked. I go preach the gospel and get run out of town. I, people throw me in jail and whip me within an inch of, inch of my life. They stoned me one time. And the only reason they quit stoning me is they thought I was dead for preaching the gospel. And Lord enabled me to get back up. And when I got back up and kept preaching Christ. You know why I'm suffering all this? For the elect's sake. That they might hear of Christ and believe on Him. He calls believers the elect. In 2 John, John says he's the elder writing unto the elect lady. And he must—he was somewhere with her sister, and he tells her, "Your elect sister greets you." That's how he describes believers, the elect. The scripture is just full of this. Doesn't that make it plain? God has a people He elected unto salvation. So, if we're going to preach the gospel, we must preach this truth of election. All right, number two. Now that's the doctrine. That's true. That's, it, it can't be any more plain than that. But now these next two points, I'm going to apply it right to us. Election, secondly, must be preached because the doctrine of election is the only doctrine, the only thing that, that men preach, different, of all the different things that men preach, election is the only doctrine that makes God sovereign in salvation. Election is the only doctrine that makes God be God. And I'll give you an illustration. Free will religion. Now they tell you, you see if I'm, I'm, I'm right about this. They tell you, Christ died to pay for the sins of every son of Adam. And they tell you, now the way you get saved is you decide to accept that sacrifice. They say you've got to make a decision. You've got to make a decision. You've got to make this decision to accept Jesus as your personal Savior. And if you make that that decision, you get saved. That's what they say. And if you don't make that decision, then they tell you, you're not saved. But they want to twist the, the knife of, uh, I don't know what you call it, the emotions. Well, all right, you're not going to make that decision to get saved, but don't you feel sorry for poor little old Jesus who suffered and died and you're just wasting his blood. You're just wasting it because you won't accept it. Now that doctrine is a heinous, abomination it's an abomination and it sends people to hell believe it that doctrine is a lie on so many levels but i'll just give you two of them first this free will doctrine ignores the character of god 
If anything's plain from this book, God's holy, isn't he? He's holy. And God is just. And God's nature determines what he's going to do. God's nature is holy and just, so everything he does is holy and just. So God in his nature, he can never punish Christ for your sins and then damn you for the same sins. He cannot do it. Can't. Nothing would be more unholy or more unjust than that, would it? (laughs) God is holy. God is just. And here's something else that is so obvious in Scripture. God is sovereign. He's sovereign over everything. These free willers seem to make it like God's sovereign over everything but salvation. (laughs) And I wouldn't say God's especially sovereign in salvation, but brother, He's sovereign in salvation. God is sovereign. He directs everything that happens in His creation. From the biggest things we can think of to the things that we never even notice. God sovereignly directs everything that happens in His creation because He's God. (laughs) God is never a bystander to this earth. What's going on in His creation. And if I can say it this way, God's never a bystander, especially where the salvation of His people is concerned. God set His love on the people. He loves those people. He's not going to be a bystander and let them do what they will and end up where they will and just wait and see what happens. God's not a bystander. He's active. He actively directs everything going on in this creation. Now man's free will doctrine makes man to be sovereign in salvation. And it makes God a bystander, doesn't it? God's got this plan of salvation for you, but he's got to wait and see what you'll do. He's got to wait and see how this thing comes out. He's a bystander. Just like me when I go to a a sporting event. I'm a bystander. I cannot play. (laughs) I'm a bystander. I wait and see what will happen. If the salvation of my soul is left up to my decision, then the only conclusion I can draw from that is I am sovereign in salvation. Brother Henry said one time, well, if I've got to choose, if I have the power to, to choose to accept or reject Jesus, well, then I'll ju- I've got the power to refuse to accept God's judgment and I refuse to let him send me to hell too. <laughs> I mean, it makes sense, doesn't it? If salvation is up to my decision, it's a vote. I just get a vote. Like I vote on the president or I vote on a congressman or something. Free will doctrine makes salvation to be a religion, a salvation of the people, by the people, and for the people. Now, our government's that way, isn't it? And it's the best government known to man. Our government is a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. But don't ever mistake that for God. Salvation's not that way. God's government is not that way. God's government is a dictatorship. God is sovereign. I used to tell the, all the, the people that worked for me, the best form of government is a benevolent dictatorship. And Sean, I told him that's what we got us here. A benevolent dictatorship. God's a dictator. He's the sovereign, the supreme sovereign. God's salvation 
is the salvation of God, by God, and for God. Salvation is of the will of God. Salvation is by the doing of God, and salvation is for God. It's for God's glory, for him to display his greatest glory that he would be merciful to sinners. Now God's sovereign. He's sovereign in everything. He's sovereign in salvation. That just lets you rest easy, doesn't it? Since God's sovereign, and none can stay his hand or say unto him, what doest thou? God will see to it that everything that's necessary for the salvation of his people is done. He'll see to, the, to it that it's done because God Himself is going to do it. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are going to see to it this thing of the salvation of God's people is completed. They're not going to leave it up to the creature. God Himself is going to accomplish it. So free will doctrine, first of all, just ignores the character of God. Secondly, free will doctrine ignores the character of man. Now man is dead. We're dead in sin and we can't do anything good. We're dead so we can't choose God. And we won't choose God. We won't. What did our Lord tell the Pharisees? You will not come unto me that you might have life. It's not that you're not allowed to. You will not come unto me that you might have life. That's our nature. Now if man's free will religion free will doctrine is true, then the whole Bible is not true. can't be. Because what does the Bible say about all men? All men died in Adam. Death came by Adam. Death passed upon all men in Adam. Well, if man's free will religion is true, then the nature of our flesh can recover enough to decide to accept Jesus. I can suddenly decide I will come to Christ, that I might have life. If that's so, I'm not dead. I've gotten banged up pretty good, but I'm not dead. Thankfully, the Bible's true. And man's free will, will religion is a lie. All men are dead. Spiritually dead in Adam. And just like God must be consistent with His holy and just character, you and I must be consistent with our dead sinful nature. Now, there's no question we have a will that, to make choices to, to do things. You know, I can choose to raise this arm or, or raise this arm. And, you know, we, have, we make choices. But our choices will always be death instead of life. Our choices will always be our works instead of God's grace. We will always choose by nature, my way, not God's way. 100% of the time. Well, since we're dead, that's our nature. There's no hope of salvation in us. There's no hope of salvation based upon our decisions or our doings. But if Almighty God elected you, oh, you have a sure hope of, foundation, uh, hope of salvation. Because if the Father elected you, in the fullness of time, He sent His Son to die for your sins on purpose, particularly. The Savior bore your name on his heart as he hung on that cross suffering and dying. He was dying for your sin. Particularly when he cried, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? 
He suffered and died to put away your sin. To pay that penalty for your sin so you'll never will. And if Christ died for you, if He did something so wonderful for the likes of me and you, He's going to let you in on it. He's going to send His Spirit to you and He's going to cross your path with a preacher who's going to tell you about salvation by grace, not your works, and you're going to believe it. Because the Spirit is going to give you life to believe it. Now I know by nature we will not come to Christ that we might have life, but that's just no problem that the Holy Spirit can't overcome. He's just going to move in power and give you a new want to in the new birth and you're going to come running to Christ. All He's got to do is reveal Christ to you. You'll see Him and you'll come running. Willingly. Willingly. (laughs) Now that's how God saves sinners. That's how God regenerates sinners. And the whole process, I I mean, I hate to call it that, but the whole process of the work of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, where did it begin? It began with God's election of the people. God's electing love. He set His love upon a people. So if we're going to preach God as He is, we must preach election. If we're going to tell sinners how it is God saves them, that's where we've got to start in Because God is God. We have to start with His electing love. Alright, here's the third thing. Election must be preached because God's electing love is the one and only way a sinner like you and me can be saved. If Almighty God did not elect a people unto salvation, I wouldn't waste my time preaching. Wouldn't do it. Wouldn't do it. I certainly wouldn't waste my time begging dead people to do something spiritual. Wouldn't do it. See, man is dead in sin. And I'm not just talking about man out there. Not us here tonight. That's the way we're born dead in sin. We can't do anything to save ourselves. We can't do anything to make ourselves more savable. We can't do something to get God to save us. We can't choose God. Try as we might, we cannot choose God's way of salvation in Christ. We can't do anything righteous because we're too busy drinking iniquity like water. We can't do something that would impress the eternal holy God because we're dead. We're dead. See, spiritually, we're just like Jacob, aren't we? Just like Jacob. We can't do anything right. Just, I mean, poor old Jacob, just... It, it, He's a slave to his nature just like you and me are. He couldn't help but scheme somebody. He couldn't help but try to trick somebody. Just skim off the top. He couldn't help it. He's just always doing it. But God chose him anyway. God loved him anyway. At the end of Jacob's life, what did he tell Pharaoh? God has shepherded me. He's led me guided me he's protected me he's kept me from going off the the deep end he's kept me from falling off the cliff and he's fed me all the days of my life see our only hope and if if this is your only hope of salvation you've got a good hope our only hope of salvation is that god would choose to save sinners I know people that that say this. They say, well, you can't deny election. But what they say is God looked down through the telescope of time 
He chose to save people who would be good. They'd be better than their best. He chose to save people who he saw ahead of time you know, would choose him. Well, again, that's not what Scripture says. Scripture says God looked down through the telescope of time and you know what he saw? There's none good, no, not one. So God chose to save sinners. See, that gives hope, doesn't it? This thing gives hope to you and me. God chose to save sinners. And you know, it's unpleasant to the flesh if God would reveal to you, your name's Jacob. Dead in sin. Can't do anything good. Offensive to God. That's unpleasant to the flesh to have that revealed to us. But I tell you, it's a good thing if God's taught you you're Jacob. It's a good thing. You know why? You know how God describes himself in Scripture? I'm the God of Jacob. God saves Jacobs. God saves sinners. <laughs> oh, so if we're going to tell sinners how it is, how can I be saved? How, how does God save sinners? We've got to start with God's electing love because that's where it all began. Remember when the Lord sent Ananias down there to, uh, to preach to Saul of Tarsus? And I said, Lord, I've heard about that fella. I'd just soon not go. And you know what the Lord told him? You go ahead and go. He's a chosen vessel unto me. And you know how Ananias began preaching the gospel to Paul? The God of our fathers hath chosen thee. He began with election, didn't he? Might be a good idea if we did too. Because that's where our hope of salvation begins. It begins with God's electing love. So not only must we preach election. Eric, I love it. I love to preach election. I love to preach God's electing love. And God's people love to hear it. Because that's the foundation of my hope. God would choose to love and save sinners. Thank God for his electing love. All right, let's bow together. Our Father, we're thankful for this passage of Scripture that you enable us to look at tonight and we're thankful for just the, a, the glimpse of your redemptive glory that you would, a holy God, could choose to love sinners, could choose to, of his own will, to choose sinners to save and put in his son to put away their sin. Father, how thankful we are. Father, I pray you'd bless this this message, this word as it's been preached to your glory. Enable us to see your glory in your electing love for your people and cause us to trust you. Cause us to run to thee and to trust Christ in Christ alone. It's in his name, for his sake and his glory we pray. Amen. All right, Sean.